All right. Good morning, fellas. We are in a series, A Man and His Traps. And today we're going to be talking about the trap of sexual sin and the lure of pornography. One of the things I look through in Scripture, it's interesting to me how you see this pattern of the sins of the father passed down to the son and the grandson and so forth. If you've seen that pattern in Scripture as you read through Genesis and Exodus and the Old Testament stories, <clears throat> and I've talked to so many men who struggle with sexual sin and what breaks my heart is even just yesterday, had a conversation with a high school student battling sexual sin. And I know that in 10 years from now, there's going to be a whole new generation of high school students who are battling with sexual sin, that the sin of the father has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. And I see so many men who... When it comes to sexual sin, all of a sudden, like no other issue in our life, all of a sudden we become a victim to this thing in our life. We, we become a victim to our thoughts. We become a victim to our feelings. We become a victim to our desires. And, and I'm going to come at this with a lot of compassion and empathy, and I'll tell you why in just a second. But I just want to say up front, guys, it is time to fight for our hearts. It is time to fight for our thoughts. It is time to fight for our soul and our character. It is time to fight for the calling that God has given us. And Scripture tells us to work your salvation out with fear and trembling. We can no longer come at this. You know, we go to work. We go with our finances. We talk about all these other elements of life that we want to fight for. And then it comes to our sexual sin and we become victims. And I want to call us to something better than that. And I want to tell you right up front, everything you need to conquer the sexual sin has already been given to you. There's nothing that I can provide for you that is going to all of a sudden put you over the top. Everything that you need, you already have. Now, the reason I can say this, and I want to just come with tons of compassion and empathy. You know, I encountered pornography at 12 years old and it had a hold of my life for 15 years until I was 27 years old. Now, if you know my, my story, I want you to just put some things in place. That means after I got married, after I went to seminary, after I was in ministry, there is no man exempt from this battle. But I can also tell you, so I'm 42 years old, I've been set free for 15 years. And everything that you need, you already have. And that's what I had to discover. There wasn't some magic process to get free. I just had to submit to the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about what that looks like. But I want you to understand right up front that sexual sin is dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. And Scripture lays this out for us. Paul talks about it in his letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 
starting in verse 18, this is what Paul tells us. Flee from sexual immorality. Now this, this phrase here, to, to flee or to run away, it, it means to, to sprint in the opposite direction. And it's going to come back again at another text we're going to look at as we wrap up today. But I just want you to have that image in your mind. This is not something we play around with. We've got to run away from it, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So it's very simple. When you submit to sexual sin in any way, you're harming your own being. You're harming your own body. Well, what does that look like? Well, there's physical consequences to sexual sin. Did you know that when you look at a pornographic image or when you engage in sexual sin in any way, as a man, that sticks with you? Let's just take pornography, for instance. When you look at a pornographic image, it literally rewires your brain. You have neuropathways in your brain where electrical signals are sent from one place to another, and there's like super highways that throughout your brain. And when you look at a pornographic image, that image gets literally burned into your brain. So I've been set free for 15 years, but do you know that sometimes without my own desire, without my own will, without any sense of compulsion, an image will come back from 15, 20, 25 years ago. And then I have to do what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. I have to capture every thought for Christ. And I talk to my son and I talk to other guys and I tell them there's physical consequences. And it's not just your brain, but your body. You know, so many men have become desensitized to the actual gift of sex that God has given them because they've deviated from the gift that God has given. And your body gets desensitized. You know, many of us might be struggling in our sexual relationship within marriage because of past sexual sin. Because it makes a mark on your body. But it's not just your body, it's also your emotions. And there might be some people in this room today who are battling shame and, and just this sense of despair or something wrong with you because of your past sin. Or maybe it's the mental consequences. We talked about the footprint that sexual sin leaves in your brain. And it rewires not only a physical aspect, but the psychological part of us gets reframed when we engage in sexual sin. And most definitely relational consequences. That our relationships with other people are negatively impacted, particularly the gift of marriage, this wife that God has given us, if you're married or if you're, you're single, your future wife, it is impacted when we give in to sexual sin. And so this is dangerous. We cannot play with this. And there's so many other sins that are visual that other people can hold us accountable to, whether it's greed or pride or selfishness or rage 
or you fill in the blank. And this is one of those often hidden secret sins that we carry and we bury and it's unseen. And it can begin to take root in us and grow and we're experiencing all of these consequences. And so it might just be time for us to take this seriously. To be able to do that, we've got to make a commitment. It's the first tenet of biblical manhood that we reject passivity. We can no longer be passive when it comes to sexual sin. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 28? If you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And many of us are playing with this. You know, so many times I'll talk to a high school or college student and the question comes up, well, how far is too far? How far is too far sexually before I've gone too far? Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 28? The moment it takes place in your heart, you've already sinned. And many of us, when it comes to, you will look at magazine covers or advertisements or a, a Instagram photo or video or, you know, we don't even have to go into the, the scary stuff that, that's out there. But there's something taking root in our heart and we're like, how far can I get, clo how close can I get to the fire without getting burned? That's not the calling that Jesus has in our hearts. What did Paul say? Flee from sexual sin. Don't see how close you can get to it. And so let's not be passive about this. Because I want you to understand something about the human heart and the lives that we live. Where you land in life starts with where, the way you think. And it looks something like this. The, the, what you think begins to develop attitudes. And attitudes begin to develop habits. And habits develop patterns. And patterns create the path that you live. And the path that you live creates the direction of your life. Now, I don't have time to get into it today, but if you want some Bible study this week, uh, go look at 2 Samuel 11 and Genesis chapter 13 and 19. What do you find there? In 2 Samuel 11, you find David's sin with Bathsheba. We're all familiar with that, right? But I want you to look as you read through that, and there's at least 10, 11, 12 things that David did before he ever got to Bathsheba. There was compromise upon compromise upon compromise way before he ever got to the adultery and murder. In Genesis 13 and 19, you'll discover a guy named Lot. In Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot are together, and there's too many of them to occupy the land that they're in. And Abraham says to his nephew Lot, I'll go one way, you go the other, and you choose. And Lot chooses what looked better to him at the moment. And then he finds himself in a, a precarious position. He's close to two towns, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's living on the outside of those towns. And then the next thing that we see is he's neighboring those towns. And then we find Lot living in the town. And then we find Lot at the city gate. He's a leader of the town. Compromise after compromise after compromise. And that's what happens with sexual sin. Well, it's, it, you know, it doesn't hurt to just look. I, I, it's, you know, I couldn't help it. She walked by me. And then it's not a person, it's a, a magazine cover. And then it's not a, a magazine cover, it's, it's a picture on the internet. And then it's not a picture on the internet, it's an it's a, a, a openly sinful picture on the internet. And then it's a video, and then you're pushing the boundaries. And we make compromise after compromise 
after compromise, and we've got to watch out for that. And how do we do that? Well, Paul tells us in Philippians 4.8, gives us a, a, a hint on what do we do. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In other words, like, I don't know about you, I tell my wife this all the time. She doesn't, under, like, she doesn't believe me, but it's just true. Like there's literally, there's only so much brain capacity. You know, it's not that I'm trying to forget things that you tell me. Or it's not that I'm trying to forget, you know, something that I'm supposed to be responsible for. Like literally, I can only carry so many things. Anybody, like you, you can relate to that? It's the same way with our hearts. Our hearts can only handle so many things. And what I've discovered is if I will fill my heart and mind with good things and proactively seek out the honorable and the good and the pure and the right and fill my mind with those good things, then there's no more room left for the hurtful things. And this is in every element of life. So I want you to evaluate, like, what are you allowing yourself to watch on TV? What movies are you allowing yourself to watch? What music do you allow yourself to listen to? Do you allow your eyes to land on images that you should bounce off of? And this, again, this is not a game. We've got to take this seriously because it's that one little glance might become a longer glance, which will become a stare, which will become uh, you get enraptured by one compromise after another. And so we've got to fill our minds with that. And really what we're doing is we're protecting ourselves because let me walk you through what I lived for 15 years. I call it the shame cycle. Maybe you're living in this. Maybe you've experienced this. Where when I was struggling with pornography and sexual sin, I would, I would wake up in the morning and I would say, today's the day it's not going to happen. And then I would go through that whole day and I'd say, I'm not going to do it. 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 Well, what was I doing? I was filling my mind with the very thing that I wanted to avoid. You know, it'd be like if you're an alcoholic and I followed you around all day long with whiskey and I was like, don't drink this, don't drink this, you don't want this. I mean, that's stupidity. But that is the process that many men walk through with sexual sin is we're filling our mind with the very thing that we want to avoid and we're depending on our own willpower. How's that working for you? Well, it didn't work for me. And so I would inevitably, eventually, I would cave, I would give in, I would, I would give in to that sexual temptation. And then immediately I would feel shame. And the enemy would go into that moment, and it was so interesting where the enemy would say, it's not a big deal. It's okay. God will forgive you. God understands. It's not as bad as you think. And then the moment I gave in, the enemy would pounce and say, look at what you did. Look, isn't that disgusting? You are so wrong. You are so dirty. You are so evil. God couldn't love you. He would turn the tables on me, and then I would give in to that, and I would think, it's not something I did. It's who I am. How could God love me? And you know what that does to your willpower? It destroys it. 
And it was so much easier to give in the next time, and then the shame was greater, and you get caught in this cycle. The way you break free from that is not to try harder, but it is to fill your mind with the things of God, the truth of God, and believe in the grace of God. So we've got to break free from this, embrace this this approach that, Lord, I, I can't depend on my own willpower. I've got to depend on your power and your truth, and I'm going to saturate. And when I say saturate yourself with the Word of God and the things of God, I literally mean that. I mean write Scripture on your bathroom mirror. I mean listen to uh, sermons and biblical teachings and worship music. I mean get into the word and study it. I mean, get with other guys and talk about what the Lord is doing in your life and confess your sins to one another. Uh, Lean on one another. I mean, every moment of every day, I'm either praying or I'm in the word or I'm listening to things of God or I'm looking for things of God or I'm surrounded by men of God every moment of every day. I finally got into a place in my life where when I wake up, I'm having a conversation with God, and I fall, fall asleep at night doing the same thing. Like that is the only, it's not because I'm a good person, it's because I'm desperately in need of the power of God. And so that's what the approach we have to have. So what does this look like practically? Because that's really what we're all wanting to know, right? How do we practically do this? Well, James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scriptures say without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's that idea again. Like fight, run away, flee, and in turn the enemy will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So let's walk through this. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? I I think somehow, some way, along our journey as men, we let desire overwhelm our principles. And we self-justify, and we, we do these mental gymnastics where we tell ourselves it's okay to love the world and love God. I mean, I've even heard things like, you know, it's okay for me to look at that woman because God made her and she's a gift and she's beautiful. Well, God did make her. She is beautiful. She's a daughter of God, made in the image of God, but not for your personal lust. But I heard so many men, men of God, who try to do those mental gymnastics because they want to love the world and they want to love God. And we compromise and we tell ourselves it's okay. And we cannot do that. 
We've got to be willing to draw a line in the sand, fight the battle of our minds and our hearts and say, I am not going to be in love with the world. I mean, where does that take you? Like, there, it, there is no end to that. I mean, if you look at our world today, we are embracing and justifying and sanctifying things that are evil and abominable in the, in the sight of God. And it is filtering its way into the church because men of God have said to themselves, I can love the world and love God. And it's so easy to point a finger out there to the world's sexual sin and what they call okay while we are secretly participating in it. And God is calling us as men of God to say no more. You've got to choose. Are you going to love me or are you going to love the world? And then it continues. And he says, listen, th this is difficult, but what does God do? He gives more grace. He gives more grace. And who does he give grace to? The humble. And what does it mean to be humble when it comes to sexual sin? It means to stop posing. It means to stop acting like I don't struggle with it. It means to find a trustworthy man of God and say, I'm wrestling with this. I'm not as strong as I would like to, to come across as. And I need somebody to walk with me and pray with me. It means that you stop thinking that you're stronger than you are. And in just a minute, we're going to talk about put some things in place to help you. And so we've got to come to the Lord with humility and then submit to God. And we run away from the devil, and we're going to talk about how we do that. But we've got to say, Lord, help me to put a plan in place to run away from the scheming of the devil. Because I know what he does as he takes beautiful, wonderful blessings of God, and he twists them and distorts them where they become a source of death rather than a source of life. And I don't want that in my world or in my life. And so I'm going to run away, and I'm going to submit to God. And I'm going to come in confession. He says, change your laughter to mourning. We need to mourn. You know, I will tell you, here's, here's one secret of how I've stayed clean for 15 years. I'm so scared of going back to where I was. I'm so angry with the enemy of the position that I was in. I hate that sin with such passion and fervor that the very second I experience temptation, I'm literally running the other way. It is not out of some sanctimonious, holy, you know, principled Bible man junk. It, it, it is out of a raw fear and anger that keeps me running toward God and away from that sin. I want you to get to that place. I want you to get so angry with the enemy for deceiving you and so fearful of the bondage of sin that that emotion overwhelms the lust, that that emotion overwhelms all the other things that are pushing you toward the sexual sin. If you want the, the secret sauce, that's it. It's not three steps. I mean, I'm going to give you some tools, but it's not three easy steps. It's, it's not you know, some software, it is the anger and the fear over the bondage of that sin. And I want you to get to that place where you're so submitted to God that I cannot go back to this.
So all right, so what, what, are we, what do we do? What does it look like? The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to get to the root. Because I want to suggest to you that your primary problem is not lust. If you're dealing with sexual sin, your problem is not lust. And your problem is not that you have a desire for sex. You know, let me say this plainly. Uh, especially if you're married. If you're married and your heart's desire is not a vulnerable, intimate, mutual, private connection with your wife, if that's not your desire, then you're not desiring sex. You're desiring something else. If your desire is to look at a video or an image or some other woman, that's not a sexual desire. It's manifesting itself as lust, but it's not a sexual desire because a sexual desire pushes you toward pursuit of your wife in a vulnerable, intimate, mutual, private connection that is a gift of God. That's why so many men, they think when I get married, all this, this struggle will go away and it doesn't go away because your desire is not for sex, it's for something else. And you're running toward pornography or sexual sin to fill some other desire. And so what is the root of that? Well, you've got to discover that. And the way that you discover the root of the problem is you start to identify your triggers. And what, what do I mean by that? Like, what are the things that push you towards sexual sin? Is it, when, are you more vulnerable when you're tired, when you're upset, when you're angry, when you feel rejected, when you feel alone, when you feel like a failure? What are the things that heighten the temptation? Because I would suggest to you, that the real problem uh, you can discover through those triggers and you're just going to the easiest thing to numb those, those feelings of maybe rejection or failure or inadequacy, insecurity, fear, and you fill in the blank. You know, pornography is such an, an easy scapegoat. Sexual sin with other women is an easy scapegoat because what it does, it, it's like shooting drugs straight into your brain to numb out all the, the pain or the, the struggle that you have. I mean, there, the hormones and, and the, the, the things that are released in our brain, literally it's like a drug. Right? And, and nobody would ever say to a drug addict, like, you, what you really want is that drug. No, you want the results of that drug. It's the same with sexual sin. You're not desiring sex. You're desiring the feeling of numbing out at that moment when, or euphoria or whatever it is when you participate in that. And so we've got to, what are the triggers? What is it that I'm the most vulnerable to temptation when this happens, when this is going on, and then start to pray about. And if you need to get counseling, go to counseling. If you need to take, talk to some godly men, talk to some godly men. Say, help me discover why these are the triggers. What's behind this? What, what is missing in my heart? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has placed eternity in the human heart, and we go looking for all kinds of places to fill that need. And all those other places let us down, and we're left with inadequacy, fear, failure, rejection, isolation that pushes us toward this. And so the answer is not going to be a software or willpower or anything else until you discover what's at the root. And I hope you understand the difference between sexual desire and this desire. They're not the same. 
The sexual desire that God gives you pushes you toward intimacy with your spouse, with your wife. This is something wholly different, that, that Satan has taken that and twisted it. All right, so get to the root. Number two is you've got to create a way out. So when temptation hits, what are you going to do? Do you have a, a friend you're going to call? Do you have a, a habit that you're going to create? What is it that you're going to do in the moment? You've got to plan ahead of time. You know, just like I talked about with forgiveness, like I've got to plan ahead of time to forgive. Because if I wait until the moment, the emotions are going to overpower what I want to do. And with sexual sin, i got to plan ahead. You know, what am I going to do in the moment? Am I going to, you know, pull out scripture? Am I going to make a phone call? Am I going to go for a walk? Am I going to go work out? You know, am I use this energy for something else? Like, I need a way out in the moment. So find the root, create a way out. And then you need, number three, an overall battle plan. What are you going to do to protect yourself preemptively? So there's some amazing software out there. This is not, you know, this is not the Superman cape, but it's part of the plan. You, you know, Covenant Eyes or um, there's Bark. Um, there's some other really good ones out there that you protect yourself with. Uh, there's some other things that you can do, like not taking your phone or your computer into your bedroom. Uh, and in my house, there are no screens in any bedrooms. It's just a part of the battle plan for myself and for my children. Uh, there are things that, that we can do to, to put up guardrails in our life in other ways, whether it's regular accountability with men, it is regular uh, prayer, getting in the Word on a daily basis, worship, uh, protective measures, so many different things that you can do, but you, whatever it is, it needs to be created for you that you've got an overall battle plan that you're not putting yourself in harm's way. And you go back to the alcoholic. It's really foolish for the alcoholic to go to the bar and feel like that they're just going to power through it. That would be really foolish. And yet we as men, we're battling sexual sin and we continue the same behaviors and think that we're going to power through it. <laughs> That, that I'm going to delete that email that came, or I'm going to scroll past that Instagram image, or I'm going to look the other way when I walk by that magazine aisle, or like put some things in place to protect yourself. And it's not some magic process, but those are the three things that I did. I did it over a season of time. I prayerfully walked through, God helped me get to the root. What, what's really behind this? And discovering the difference between sexual sin and meeting a false need with lustful behavior, discovering the difference with that is huge. And so getting at the root of what is my heart really longing for, what's the real pain, and then finding a way out, creating a way out, this is what I'm going to do in the moment, and then creating a battle plan so that I'm not putting myself in the position as often, you know, and it can include lots of different things, you know, a workout regimen so you're, you're, you don't have extra energy or, 
you know, a, a Bible reading plan so you're filling your mind with the, the truth of God, surrounding yourself with God's word, accountability groups, uh, patterns of prayer, so many things you can do. But it comes down to what I said at the beginning. In all those other areas of life, we, we so are ready to embrace this warrior mentality. I'm going to fight. Why is it different with sexual sin? <laughs> Why is it that we bury this and hide it away and we're so embarrassed by it? You know, we think it, all the people in this room or listening on the podcast that you think you're alone in your sexual sin, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. But as a pastor, I can tell you it is prevalent. You are absolutely not alone. It's prevalent from middle school on up. And that number is creeping back into elementary school and on up. And it is time for us as men to, just like all the other things, fight for our hearts. Fight for our sons and daughters. You know, I, I had a conversation this last fall through the equip classes with a group of men. And, and it's startling how few men talk to their sons about sex sex and sexual sin. We as men have got to normalize this conversation where we are talking to our sons and daughters about the design of God for sex within marriage, the beauty, the gift of it, but also how the enemy wants to take it and twist it and, and eliminate what God wants to do in our lives through it. Because if we don't talk to them, you know, and that's one of the things we try to do as a church, we talk to our students on a regular basis about this, and sometimes parents will freak out, and I want to ask them, if we don't talk to them, who will? Somebody will. They're hearing it in all the wrong ways, in all the wrong places, with all the wrong information. And so we have to fight for this. Why? Because what did Paul say? It's a dangerous sin. It's a very dangerous sin. Affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, as well as spiritually. So we, these are things we can do. Get to the root. Find a way out. Have a battle plan. But at the end of it, it comes back to those other elements we talked about. Take it seriously. No one compromise leads to another. And I've got to draw a line in the sand. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys.